You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. Occasionally in life, isn't it the case, it might be a politician or a famous sports person, and really, they're really caught up in a little bit of a scandal, and we've even seen that in maybe recent weeks. And while the, the politician or the sportsman might come out with a statement, and the statement will, well, it'll be an apology, non-apology, do you know those ones? Basically, we're sorry that we got caught, and sometimes they say, we'll not do it again, but oftentimes they miss that little bit out. And well, in the world today in which we live, there's a lack of repentance, isn't there? That idea of turning around to change direction, as it were. And well, today as we look at these, or tonight as we look at these nine verses, just we're going to consider how can we live a life of repentance when the world doesn't? Because, well, it's obvious that the world doesn't live a life of repentance, isn't it? Whenever someone gets caught out, they issue a statement and get on with life. There's little repentance done. And well, before a chapter 13, the bits that we have missed out in verses 49 to 59 of chapter 12, we're told that Jesus, is, Jesus tells them he, he comes to bring division. He's here to split families. What does he mean by that? There'll be those who follow him and those that don't. And therefore, households will be divided. That's much different than maybe what people would say Christianity is about today, isn't it? That Jesus is here to bring unity and peace. Jesus says, no, I'm here to bring division. And it's like uh, in uh, this English Civil War where families were divided against which side of the, the roses, as it were, that they were fighting on, houses were divided. This is what Jesus is coming to do. He's divide households. Jesus then has this uh, interpreting the times. It's a uh, uh, subtitle in my Bible. The idea that they're able to determine the weather from the south wind and so on, and they, they're able to predict what's coming. Uh, and then Jesus gets into this passage of verses 1 to 9, where it's almost as if they say to Jesus, we've got a sign too. But before we think about how can we live a life of repentance when the world doesn't, well, what is repentance? Well, our Westminster Confession of Faith is really helpful. Don't get bored. It's so good. And we'll see this all tonight. Repentance unto life is a saving grace by which a sinner, truly aware of his own sinfulness, understands the mercy of God in Christ grieves for and hates his sin and turns from them to God, and the last line is pretty important, fully intending and striving for a new obedience. So as you look at these first nine verses, how can we live a life of repentance and when the world doesn't, the first thing we need to recognize is this, realize we are sinners. Realize we are sinners. So Jesus, as I've said, has spoken about the signs in verse 49 and 50, or sorry, verses 54 and 55 or so. He's spoken about the signs, and then later on in this conversation, it's still the same passage, if you like, from the rich fool on. There were some present at that time, so this is still going on, and they're saying, Jesus, we've got a sign too. We do hear about this one. That's almost what they're saying. This is maybe a relatively new, new story. And they say, look, Pilate has killed these people. And well, the, the time, at, uh, at that time, it might be the case where if something bad happened to you, the opinion would be, well, you obviously deserved it. So that's maybe in the background here of this, of this statement of the people. And well, what happens is utterly gruesome, isn't it? Here we have Galileans. They're obviously in some form of worship or going to worship. 
and they're sacrificing animals, but as they're taking the blood from the animals, literally the blood's taken from them too. Their life is gone, and in the context of worship, you could understand maybe sympathy for them, the people caught up in this. Maybe they think they were martyrs, yet other people think, well, maybe they deserved it. But it is utterly gruesome. And while Josephus was a, a, a historian not long after Jesus' day, and Josephus is able to record three instances, three other times where Pilate is really set against the Jewish custom. He's, he, he does this a couple of other times too. So this is form for Pilate. What's not form for Pilate is actually when he gives in to the Jews later on with Jesus. But here is this horrible story, and people are saying they deserve it, but then look what Jesus says. He has a lot of questions and answers. He answers his own questions. Great. Jesus says in verse 2, do you think that those people are worse sinners? What's Jesus' answer? No. Okay, Jesus tells them another story. Do you think they were worse sinners than you? Answer again, no. No, they aren't. They are it's easy for us, isn't it, to point out sin in other people or reasons and so on. It's easy to point out sin. We can point out sin to the world very easily, and we should do that. Of course we should. We see, we need to realize we're sinners. We need to say that repentance is needed. Jesus says, repent. Each time he says, repent. We need to say that repentance is needed because we are sinners. These people are pointing the finger. They're saying, well, look at them. They must be really bad. Jesus is saying, you need to repent too. You're a sinner. Repentance is needed. They were no worse than you. And as we point out sin in the world, we need to point out the sin in our hearts. We need to see sin in our life. And that's really important too, isn't it? It's not like we used to have at home uh, a bird, like wildlife book, whenever we were kids. And remember you used to at the primary school, maybe you used to sit at the window and see what types of birds you could see and write them down, you're able to look up the picture in the book and see what type of bird it is. Sometimes we're like that with sin, aren't we? We say, oh, that, that, that was a lie. Oh, they, they were cheating. That's idolatry. That, that's lust. And we're able to point out sin as if it's out of a textbook. We're maybe good at naming different types of sin. But that's good. And we need to do that. But we need to see the repulsiveness of sin. There's no point just pointing out sin and doing nothing about it and not being changed by it or affected by it. It's not just opening a book and identifying it, but we need to see how filthy it is, how ugly sin is, that sin is personal against God, that repentance is needed. You see, there is no forgiveness without repentance. What does Jesus say? Unless you repent, you will also perish. And that leads us into our next bit, isn't it? We need to realize that we are sinners we also re need to realize that we will die. That's how we live a life of repentance whenever the world doesn't. Know that we're sinners, but also realize that we're going to die. For the last year and a half, all we've heard about is extending life and helping people live longer. Everything we buy is to not look older or to, to get everybody a, a, a greater life expectancy. But there comes a point where we will all die, whatever age that might be. People talk about the seven deadly sins, whatever they are. Well, all sin's deadly, isn't it? See, we need to see that we will die, and repentance is urgent. It's urgent. That's why Jesus uses these two events. These are two sudden events. The guys sacrificing the animals, do you think they knew they were going to be killed that afternoon? 
No. And then Jesus picks up another news story, this tower in Siloam in Jerusalem. Maybe they were constructing it. Maybe they were fixing it. Or maybe there was just nothing happening. But it crashed anyway, and 18 people died. Jesus is saying to them, you too will perish. Repentance is urgent, but that could have been you, Jesus is saying. That could have been you under the, the tar. That could have been you in sacrificing the animals. Repentance is urgent. And while tragedies show that repentance is urgent, don't they? Tragedies show rep- urgent, there's urgency to repentance. Because you just don't know what breath is going to be your last. And tragedies, instead of pointing the finger about situations or saying how bad they are, saying that people are martyrs, maybe like they were here, they're actually signs for us that we need to repent, that we will die, and there's an urgency to it. Because when we assess our lives, because we know that we are sinners, we know that we instantly we should be wiped out and judged, shouldn't we? We don't deserve this. Yet God gives us time. Repentance is urgent. Because repentance is urgent, let me take a brief pit stop and take your image from earlier. Because repentance is urgent, we're all going to die. Surely that means the message is urgent too, doesn't it? An article in the Gospel Coalition caught my eye about 10 days ago. It was entitled this, My 30-Second Sermon as We Prepared for a Crash Landing. And we can think of other situations where that might be the case. A 30-second sermon. And there was the pastor, Kyle Dawn, in America, as they announced on the, the system to prepare for crash landing in the brace position, everybody in fear, crying, screaming, weeping. He spoke to his wife, and then he realized this could be it. And he called out for the people to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus. As they took their, their brace positions, as they waited anxiously, as they could feel the plane going down and down and down. And it, well, it landed, it crash landed. And well, everyone just exited the plane. There was the, that hush when he first spoke on the plane. All the screaming stopped, he said, but there was a hush. Because everybody knew they were faced with death, potentially. And as soon as people got off the plane, he looked around, sat with relief. He looked around, and there was everybody on Instagram, pulled up Netflix on their phone after doing a phone call. It was all forgotten about. But in that moment, those people, they, had, they were facing with the reality. And, well, the, the, the need for repentance is urgent because well, tragedy sure is, because we just don't know when. So, therefore, the message is urgent. So how can we live a life of repentance when the world doesn't? We need to realize that we're sinners. We need to realize that we will die. And then finally, and, and the, the, our biggest chunk tonight, realize we must change direction. Realize we must change direction. The scripture word repent in the Greek is really just changing one's mind. And well, we can change one's mind about anything, can't you? You can debate with somebody about who should start for England tonight, maybe, and they'll be like, oh yeah, maybe he should start, and we can just change opinions about stuff all the time, but the, whenever the Scripture uses that word, repent, it, it's much deeper than that. It's a U-turn. It's a, it's a 180. It's an utter change of direction, and they keep going in that direction. That is what repentance is. Murray says that repentance, it offers, it gives us a change in life, a change of view of our sin, a change of view of our Jesus, our Savior, and it, it results in a turning from sin and towards God. 
and to continue heading in that direction. And whenever we come to the parable here in verses 6 to 9, in the parable, Jesus uses the image of a fig tree. And the Old Testament prophets regularly used a fig tree as an image of judgment on Israel. Okay, so this is talking about Israel. And in this parable, clearly Jesus is saying, Israel needs to change. Therefore, we need to change. Israel needs to change. So as we read this parable, you notice, whenever I read, how many times either it, we're told that it's fruitless or that the man goes looking for it and can't find any fruit. A couple of times we're told that it's, there's nothing on it, just in case we miss it the first time, there's nothing on it. And then they we're told it's not just one occasion that this guy goes, but over three years there was not a pick of fruit on this fig tree. He's come back and come back. And then as the, the owner of the vineyard goes to this fig tree, the vines have been attached to fig trees to keep them uh, spaced out and apart and, and in a line. As the, the, uh, the vineyard owner goes to the fig tree, he's met there by a man or a gardener or a vine dresser, depending on your uh, translation. And there doesn't a gardener act as an advocate. What does the man say? The man says, no, 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 don't, don't dig it up just yet. Leave it for a little while. Just, just leave it. Maybe, maybe next year. Let me dig it and fertilize it. It'd be much cheaper just to get rid of it and put a new one in. But let me try this. Let me see if there's fruit next year. So verse 9, where it's, it's where the first couple of verses seem pretty hopeless with a fig tree, that there's nothing on it. We, have the, we know what the owner wants to do, but here the gardener says, well, maybe, maybe just, just next year. Let's give this tree another chance. Let's see if there will be a change. Let us see if there will be any fruit on the tree. And while Jesus is saying, Israel, you need to change. Israel, you need to repent. In other words, repentance is evident. Whenever we change direction, repentance is evident. There's evidence that the tree would turn from being fruitless to fruitful because there would be a fruit, wouldn't there be? And Jesus, and this, the vine dresser, the, the vineyard owner, is agreeing to letting them try one more time. Let's see if there's any evidence that this tree is showing signs of life, showing signs of fruit. And Jesus is saying, that's what Israel needs to do. You need to repent. How many times in our Old Testament do we read about Israel needing to repent, to turn, to change direction? See, the, the, the evidence, there has to be evidence as we turn from sin in our life. See, sadly, whenever it comes to sin, Jesus, repentance, confession, we don't really take our theology from God. We often take our theology from Britney Spears. What do I mean? And whenever we sin, instead of repenting and confessing, we throw our hands up and say, oops, I did it again. We don't really particularly care that much often. We're not repenting. See, unless you repent, Jesus says, you will perish. That's what he says to Israel, and that's what he says with us. And this conversation with the gardener, as I've alluded to already, it shows us that our God is more patient with us than we could ever expect. Our God is more patient with us than we could ever, ever expect. Here is God and this, this, the vineyard owner and his mercy and his, his patience saying, okay, I'll give them another chance. If you wonder why in this world there's so much evil that continues on, 
It's not because God is agreeing with it. Because God is incredibly patient with us. He's saying, I'll give them a chance. I'll give them a chance to repent. And here, mercy and God's forgiveness and patience here is wrapped up in this image, isn't it? That this gardener is advocating and saying, just wait a moment. Let's see if there's going to be a change from the fruitlessness. Let's see if this repentance will be evident. Let's see if we'll be able to see it clear. And the question for us all really is, do, do we repent? It's a tough one, isn't it? Do we really convent, or are we more like Britney Spears and say, oops, I did it again, and then forget about it, go about it again, do the same sin again, say, oops, I did it again, not really taking to heart the seriousness and the repulsiveness of our sin. Repentance is evident in our life. We need to realize that we must change direction. A commentator just helps us just clarify that, about repentance that it needs to be evident in our lives. Uh, Leon Morris writes, once, it's, repentance is a once-for-all event that shapes the whole subsequent course of life. Okay, so once-for-all event, so our conversion to Christ, but it shapes the whole course of life and a day-by-day affair that keeps putting sin away keeps putting sin away, a day-to-day affair. That's what repentance is. You see, remorse is not repentance. That's the classic apology, non-apology thing going on, isn't it? But this has to be a change of direction, uh, striving for new obedience. As the, 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 the confession of faith says, we need to be striving for new obedience because we never reach perfection, sure we don't. And if we're not repenting, what we're saying is that we kind of have already. You see, we need to confess and repent our particular sins. We need to confess and repent our particular sins. There needs to be a particular repentance, a constant battle in our lives so that we can, whenever we sin, whenever we repent, whenever we try, we can embrace God's grace because he's incredibly patient with us that he hasn't wiped us out, that we can embrace grace knowing that we go to a Savior. Despite all of our sin, despite our failing, we're trying to get on this new obedient path. It's not just simply feeling sorry for ourselves. There's a turning to Jesus and a change of action. So think of Zacchaeus. You know the story of Zacchaeus? We did it relatively recently. Up a tree, stealing everybody's money. He turned to the Lord he professed faith in the Lord Jesus. And did he go about his old business again? No. He literally did a 180, didn't he? Instead of stealing from the people, he was giving to the people. It was an utter repentance, a change of direction. And for each of us, it can be really hard because whenever we have sin, and there's sin that we're struggling with, our default position is to deny it as a problem, isn't it? It's like those folk who struggle with addictions, we just deny it's a problem. Maybe we're not ashamed as we should. Maybe we're content, taking it easy, and we're we're resisting God's Spirit working in our hearts because we love sin, and we don't want to repent. Our repentance is a gauge of the reality of our faith. Isn't that interesting, man? Our repentance is a gauge of the reality of our faith. We need to be repenting people. 
We need to be turning constantly to Jesus over and over, being particular in our repentance. There's something really hard about being particular in our prayers, being particular in our repentance, because it's easy to be vague. It's easy to wash over and gloss over our sin. But we need to forget about a general repentance, saying, oh Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. And that kind of covers it all. Yeah, we need, we need to do that, of course, but we need to be really particular in our sin. Because if we're particular in our confession, it means we will battle that particular sin. It means no particular sin is left behind. It means that we don't forget about it. We need to, to keep repenting. We need to continue on that new obedience, as it were. And Jesus, as he tells this parable, we're left with an unknown in verse 9, aren't we? If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, cut it down. And while are we fruitful in our obedience, it's kind of a wee bit like the end of verse 9. We don't know the answer to that, do we? Every day is supposed to be a day of repentance, a, a day of day refer, uh, affair. There needs to be a clear change in our lives, doesn't there be? A total 180, a turn. We don't want to be like the politicians or the sports people. Get into a scandal or a sticky situation and just say, Ribbits, we feel sorry for what we've done. We feel sorry for getting caught rather than just repenting. What we should do, repenting and a change of direction. How can we live a life of repentance when the world doesn't? Well, because we have a Savior, most importantly. We know that we will not be rejected by Jesus. Why? Because we trust him and love him, and he laid down his life for us. We have a patient God, a God who is abounding in steadfast love. Jesus is our sufficient Savior, so we can turn to him in all of our filth of our sin, in all of our continuing to fall off the, the, the path at the same point every time in our walk with Jesus. We have a sufficient Savior who's there for us. He is there as that one who well, offers us forgiveness and repentance. Jesus says, unless you repent, you too will perish. Mark's gospel begins with repent and believe, and we repent and we believe in our Lord Jesus. We need to realize that we are sinners. We need to remind ourselves that repentance is needed. We need to do it. We need to remember that we will die, so therefore it is urgent. And we also need to change direction because well, repentance needs to be evident in our life. We need to produce fruit, as it were, from it. Let's strive on to this, to the praise and glory of Jesus. What is repentance? It's a saving grace by which a sinner, me and you, who are truly aware of our own sinfulness, we understand the mercy of God. We understand that he is patient and slow to anger, abounding in love that we are people who grieve for and hate our sin. We see the repulsiveness of our sin, and we turn from that repulsive sin, that filth. We turn to the glorious Jesus. We turn to God, and we fully intend to strive for new obedience. We walk on. We continue. As the boss used to say, we keep on keeping on. Let's have a, a prayer of response to God's Word tonight. Heavenly Father, the, this passage tonight, 
underscores for us how much we need the gospel. For Lord, we look at your compassion and kindness to us. Lord, help us to be wise and responsible with your grace. Father, will you help us to repent quicker and deeper? Help us not just to gloss over the sins in our hearts, but Lord, let us dig deep. Father, by your Spirit, will you work in our hearts not to deny our sin, but to offer our sin to you for forgiveness. Lord, we personally confess to those particular sins of our own hearts. Lord Jesus, we ask for the help of the Spirit working in our hearts that we might be able to walk in a new obedience from that sin. Lord Jesus, help us to turn from sin. May we live a different way. But Lord, as we repent of our sin, as we turn direction, Lord, we thank you that we can have confidence that you hear us, you help us, and ultimately we are forever forgiven. Lord, help us to remember it with all of our heart of your death on the cross, what that means for us, that the sin that I continue to fall into, the sin that always seems to entangle me, the sins of my youth, the sins in my old age to come, they are washed away with the blood of Jesus. Lord, I rejoice that you've canceled all of our sin through faith in you. Lord, continue to show us your patience, your love for us broken sinners. And we pray in the glorious and graceful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.